Stuart Sanders, under pressure, bounces, takes his time, does it, touchdown, Buffalo! Jinty, good cutback, lots of room, he's 40, like a rocket, look at Jinty go, breaks a tackle, he's 20, he's 10, he's touchdown, 58 yards! Brooke, end zone, caught, touchdown, Luther Burton the third, and Missouri strikes back! Welcome back, everybody, uh, to another episode of Burning the Red Shirt. Andrew and myself, Chris K, here to talk about all the hot college fantasy football topics, as well as just college football in general. I had a thought yesterday, Andrew. Um, I was thinking to myself, is there a more interesting state for quarterbacks than the state of Texas? Like, I feel like every year there's just fun interesting topics whether it's like big texas longhorns right with like arch manning and quinn ewers to like the small schools like texas state last year with tj finley and hornsby and now this year and you know north texas i feel like we have this gold mine of opportunity and conversation and we could just become a texas podcast it'd be fine yeah they're all super fun and interesting and do don't forget uh rice do you remember who they're getting in the portal uh ej warner yeah that that yeah. that i think could be fun because he likes to sling it and they like they're uh they're so they're kind of weird from like a just play by playing and like game level and sense of like it feels like they kind of throw it all over but they play like really slow at the same time um i don't know how much of that was attributable to like having to cycle through quarterbacks uh, the last couple of years from a pace perspective right but um yeah it feels like it's not uncommon that you see their quarterbacks checking in 40 plus times a game and throwing putting up some some nice numbers um but so warner will be i i'm excited to kind of see what what uh happens there even with our boy luke mccaffrey gone he's super capable which is nice because it feels like they're an offense that doesn't mind filtering you know focusing all their attention on one receiver or something like Mm -hmm. that and so you know, when you, we kind of talked about, um, who was it this morning about a, a quarterback? Oh, it was uh, UNLV, which is another potential interesting topic to discuss. With Sluka there, you had said like, oh, I don't think he's all that great, but like maybe he's good enough. And I'm like, well, you know, if he's good enough, that's, you don't want too good of a quarterback because then they become too, you know, they spread it around too much. Give mm-hmm. me someone that's just bad enough to only be able to look at one guy. Um, and Warner is certainly that or better. So I think that's a, it'll be a potentially capable offense. And, you know, you have one of your favorite players in college fantasy is, is on that rice roster. Dude, Dean Connors. Yeah. He, uh, he, he got there in the bowl game, I, I guess, cause he, he caught a couple of touchdowns, but the yardage wasn't really there, but I was, I was hoping for a little bit of a bigger bowl game performance for him. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see where he goes in, in drafts uh, this year, but pivoting back to where you were trying to take this initially, or one one way you, one of the things that you mentioned um, with Texas State and JDL, I mean we don't have to get the trade done on the air, but the, I I can send your way a thoroughbred, a, a, an eleven hundred yard back with twenty plus catches who had wide receiver eligibility this past year and plays in your backyard, in Jamal Haynes who has multiple <laughs> years. 
multiple years of eligibility left. And all you have to send me is this kid who got run off a couple rosters and pled guilty to some heinous crimes. Like, I don't know. I'm not going to twist your arm, but it's right there on the table for, for the taking for. This is this, uh, for those that need or desire context, this is Nate's best ball league. It's like a hundred teams. And, uh, <laughs> I have had the weirdest off season for my players, just guys going from like, Oh my God, incredible value to zero value to then good value. It's just like back and forth. And one of those guys is JDL, um, which I thought was so interesting because TJ Finley was going to hit the portal or like decide if he wanted to play pro or potentially retire or something like that. And then he comes back and JDL goes to Texas state. And for a moment in time, I was like, wow, like I had JDL at Arizona and I got trampled on and now he's got like no value at Texas state, but now Finley's back in the portal. So it's crazy how that whirlwind of emotions has been all that to say, you're not getting JDL. Cause this is such a quarterback premium league. And my other <laughs> options are really yeah, we'll sketchy. To, we'll, we'll have to negotiate a little more. Um, but I, I think I, I think we'll be. I, I need to pair him with uh, Joey Hobart. Like that is that's going to be electric this year. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, but what was I going to say? Oh, seeing the realization hit Texas State Twitter in real time uh, over the past like 36 hours or so in terms of kind of oh why wow we got Jaden Delora okay he's coming in to compete with TJ Finley we got a good one too and then seeing Finley hit the portal and then. <clears throat> Texas State Twitter kind of not really being sure of the order of operations in terms of like, all right, it did Finley tell them that he was leaving and that's why we went to get JDL. Like, I don't know. It felt pretty obvious to me. Like what actually went down is what was always going to be the case from an order of operations perspective. Like they, they didn't tell Finley that they were bringing in uh, JDL. Right. And like Finley's like, dude, I don't want to deal with this shit. I'm out of here. And I don't really blame him. Um, I've I, like no ill will from me, but like I kind of get scumbag vibes from Kenny, uh, GJ Kenny, in a bunch of different uh, ways. Uh, this being like a, a decent enough example, right? Like bringing in uh, JDL, who's got all this baggage to potentially like, okay, you upgrade your ceiling as a team a little bit, but. I mean, just from like a, a culture perspective and like a building perspective of your program, like, is this really like a good move? Like, I, I, I think you can almost compare it to, you know, when uh, individuals act, acting on behalf of corporations uh, fall back on the tagline of we need to, like I made this decision as a fiduciary due to fiduciary duty or that that bullshit tagline where people say well i had to make it because it's in the best interest of the corporation well it's not in the best interest of the corporation when you move the timeline into the short beyond the immediate short term into the medium to long term it's not when you think about things from a more long-term perspective maybe the blatant money grab maybe the blatant extra half a win to a win that you're adding to this this uh upcoming season doesn't offset the downstream impact that you're having on the long-term culture and pro and program um now from a fancy perspective i love it like i think jdl is gonna torch records uh that finley set this past year 
from a passing perspective, and he's live to lead all of the FBS in passing if he uh, like stays healthy, doesn't do standard JDL shit, um, right? Which is like obviously a huge caveat, um, but just from like I think like I think he unlocks ceiling that uh, Finley was never touching uh, in this offense. Like we could see incarnate ward type numbers uh, from him. You go look at like when what Lindsey Scott was doing in the system, and I think it's all there and all on the table for him. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't think he's like any sort of runner either, but I think he's a better runner than Finley. Yeah, maybe a little bit of a upside there, but yeah, it, it is shocking to see how good Finley was, and like I, you know, we've seen him play, and we all laughed at like the fact that Hornsby like, was potentially going to battle it out with him. And then Finley started. So it makes you wonder, obviously about Hornsby going as a receiver that, that clinches that, but so Jamal, now, you know, no, no, not at all. So the, what's interesting is, you know, JDL was like good to start the year last year. And, and then, you know, the other stuff happened, I guess, whatever. And so he stopped playing, but like he averaged a good amount of fantasy points. So like, you know, put him in a super friendly offense in a, you know, a group of five conference. And that's, that feels very appealing. I'll be interested to see how high he goes in like these best balls that we do starting, I think what, like next week. So, yeah, exactly. um, so what about a big decision? You know, your, your North Texas quarterback. Oh yeah, dude. Chandler Morris. Like as soon as I had the, uh, I was kind of trying to think about the events and advance them happening before I even entered the portal. Like I had the uh, screenshot saved uh, of the, the Google map from Dallas to Denton. Uh, like, okay. As soon as he enters the portal, like let's just kind of post this on Twitter and like get the conversation started. And it actually happened. It felt very much like uh, the idea of like, okay, when JRP enters the portal, maybe he goes to play for Gus Malzahn. Uh, right. Like, fantasy uh wish casting type deal but every now and then we have uh someone who actually prioritizes the same things that we do from a fantasy perspective so props to my boy chandler morris for not going to uh just hang out with his family and friends at clemson or going to uh back up at south carolina like dude let's go throw for 4500 yards at uh in, in north end texas sling it around have some fun I mean, another good fit, but is Chandler Rogers still there? Am I making no, that up? He went to Cal. He did go to Cal. You're right. So opens they the door wide open. That, they have that dude, Stone Earl, who has been in college like 10 years and never does anything good, it, um, who actually started over Rogers last year and just isn't good. They brought in someone else. Oh, they brought in uh, some guy from Liberty that named Reese Mooney, who like, I saw one, one account saying like, okay, this kid can ball. I think it was one of your boys from C2C, the scary, like recruiting stuff that I would never like that. I can never, I can never spend time doing, uh, but that like, they're not, comp they're not like, those guys aren't going to be real competition for Chandler. It's going to, it's until he uh, like sprains his MCL or whatever for the third straight season. It should, it should be fun. Uh, fun at the G5 level. Where do you kind of pivoting a little bit here? Where do you stand on like um, guys like Morris and JDL and these prime spots with a little bit of uncertainty, but we've What's kind of seen them play for a while versus, uh, you know, a guy like Nico at Tennessee. We've barely seen him, but in another prime opportunity, but big name, right? 
when it comes to like these best balls, do you have an early thought on like which one you would take? I mean, I think you would take JDL first, but like again, the Chandler Morris against a Nico. Does the fact that you know Morris is at North Texas help push you towards you know a high picker or a higher pick there, or do you lean Nico, or do you not have a thought on that so far? Is it a cop out to say that I have to factor in cost? Like I assume Nico's going to go earlier than any of them. Um, well, that's more the question: is which one yeah. would you take first, personally? Probably want to look at the schedules a little bit because you look at like you do some just high level end of season analysis where you like sort by fancy points per game or fancy total points and at the quarterback level and it's like pretty apparent okay the power five guys always kind of have a tendency to come out ahead because they like they're not playing a level up right in the non-con and they don't have a lot of them just don't have like these these dead weeks that we inherently see with a lot of the g5 guys um so you can like kind of take it give them a tick um when you're trying to break ties and stuff like that but i don't know i never do it like i always gravitate toward like my boys at the g5 level um so like i if we if you made me actually rank them it's probably tough like to rank nico below any of them uh but when it comes to like draft day and like I would, ex- I expect Nico to girl go earlier than any of them, and I would probably just prefer to take Chandler Morris or JDL at the cost where I'm probably getting them at minimum. I would think a few rounds later. Like we haven't done any drafts yet, so I don't know where these guys are going. But like I expect Nico to get really pushed up. I expect them to go really high in drafts, and I would think that like Chandler and um. Yeah, and JDL will go a little later. Maybe it's wrong. Maybe it's foolish. To start, maybe. To start, yeah. maybe. Yeah. What about the thought of uh, <clears throat> like? It's, how, the same way. it's it feels like a really interesting quarterback year. There's a yeah. ton of options, and you have guys like Haynes King and Thomas Castellanos, who we've kind of touched on before, that like had huge years. But I'm just so curious how high people push them up because of one year and. Does that, do we get a second year? Like, is that, I, you know, I'd have to look back at other quarterbacks. Like how I'm I'm glad that this is so quarterback centric because I've been spending so much time uh, doing a lot of like quarterback collation of just like team quarterback depth chart type stuff um, the past uh, couple weeks um, for a few different uh, reasons. One, I feel like it's the easiest information to kind of act. Uh, aggregate and help you get a lay a lay of the land and feel for how things are, but also and when we do conference uh, previews again this year, uh, spoiler alert, we're running back there. Um, one of the things that I want to actually focus on this year is trying to identify, and this is like the main reason I started doing like creating a spreadsheet of like quarterback depth charts is I want to try to proactively identify uh, like death death scenarios for teams where they lose like their starter or their top two quarterbacks and j- the passive game just totally falls off. Right. Cause like that is one of the most profitable like prop betting opportunities, like unders all unders on the Florida state passing game. were so good. Um, after, uh, after Travis and then Tate Rotomaker uh, went down, what were some of the, the others? There was a really good one um, week, week 13 and I can't, I had in my head the other day, but I can't remember what it is now. Uh, but try. I feel like just having a good sense of 
those the depth charts from that perspective and then thinking about it relative to okay at the end of one week coming to ne- coming into the next week or if there's potential for a quarterback to sit it um and you could fade all the receivers in that game you get a news notification on game day like i remember i got a push notification on the uh like week i think it was 11 that uh hudson card was out and i like i was like i don't know who this backup is let's just murder all these uh receiver props prop unders for purdue passing game that day and that was really nice but uh, i feel like just that like get having a good understanding of the quarterback depth charts is and like i don't know i i i like the the this tagline that um more mantra that I've kind of created, like pre- preparation breeds dynamism in the sense that like, okay, if you, the, the reason we do all this research in the preseason is that, so on game day, we are prepared and we have ingested and ETL'd internally all of that information so that we can pivot on the spot when it comes to setting our fancy rosters, adding, dropping players, hitting these props as things, as news comes out in real time. Like, um, so that, preparation that starts uh now in my opinion and so i'm doing all this for at the quarterback uh for quarterbacks right now and it's a long-winded way of saying like this is it i'm glad we're talking about quarterbacks because it's the only thing that i could probably talk about it very and sound somewhat articulate at this point in the game in january getting back to what you actually want to talk about so haynes king and tommy c um tommy c i think is like the perfect example of uh, quarterback that a quarterback archety- archetype that I like to at least at a daily fantasy prop betting perspective. Like I, the way I bucket him is you want to be on this guy in the beginning of the year and then at the end of the year, like bowl season, because his game is so tied to his rushing ability and that shit's going to wear down right the guy's going to take so many hits like he's going to get so banged up you right you could read about it like as the season was coming to an end in boston college boston college season was coming to an end like they he was like barely practicing down the stretch he, um they stopped they kind of really went super vanilla with their games their game uh script after they or their play calling after they got bowl eligible and then Against SMU, they opened it back up, and the dude looked electric after uh, three weeks off to kind of chill and get healthy. So, not necessarily. I mean, I don't know how helpful it is from like a best ball perspective, but like just if he continues to lean so heavily on his rushing ability, which you think he would, like that is the way I, I like to think of him. What's interesting with him is you said it, but like if you look at his game log, he the basically end of October to mid-November before Thanksgiving, there was a significant drop-off in production. Um, Like significant. And one thing I think for him too is how many rushing touchdowns did he score this year? Do you know? It seems like he did not have... See if I can pull it up real quick. It didn't. Okay, yeah, he had eh, about thirteen. First of Fantrax (laughs) was tricking me with like not having a column for touchdowns right there, but that is a good point. I think definitely more applicable for daily fantasy though because you know you now i was thinking about it too this more uh this earlier this week with like you know i always have this type of runners especially in daily fantasy like i'll never roster Kyle mccord because like he just doesn't run 
And part of me is like, you know, I, I put so much stock in these runners like a Castellanos, but getting sacked and getting worn down. Like if I'm doing season averages, you know, I know that's probably the most fair way to do it. Right. Four yards per carry. But like I almost think like do, there has to be some sort of way to factor in end of season slash sacks that he might take one opponent versus the other like is it really fair to go four yards per carry against clemson and four yards per carry against virginia you know what i'm saying right. like it, it's almost like how much can i factor in that because i i seem to get bit by like the emory joneses of the world at 6k just because they're cheap and they can run um so just more inner thoughts but um i'll be curious to see how high these these guys these guys do go yeah. but i don't think that action is applicable for uh, best ball. But I mean, maybe there's a way to think about it. Well, I need to not just do runners because they could all be worn down by November. You know, if you just do straight runners, maybe you need to, to fill in with some statues like Count McCord. I will say that both King and definitely more. So uh, Tommy C looked way better as pastors than I expected this year. Like I, like Twitter told me that Thomas Castellanos was a running back effectively masquerading as a quarterback. And like, I didn't see that at all when I actually watched him this year. Yeah. There's like improvement that he could, that can make, but like that dude can throw it around and not just like, it's, we're not just talking about being able to throw uh, screens competently and short passing game. Like he's got a pretty sweet deep ball too. Um, Haynes King, like his throwing motion so weird. Like I thought he was kind of over it after like I at Texas A&M, it looked like that that dude's arm was going to fall off. Like there was something really messed up there and it looked, it definitely looked better for most of the year. Uh, but then in the bowl game, like he was like, again, he was kind of back to looking like, like he needs a shoulder surgery or something. Um, but both those guys, it's, I think it's fair to group them together, not just because they play in the same, conference but because of how they kind of get there from a fantasy perspective right like there's a lot of their um fantasy production that comes from their their running ability um and they're both like they're competent in the passing game too like they're good um you're lo looking likely like high 100s low 200s most weeks like the uh i feel like i burned so much money batting betting Haynes King passing overs this year that just came, came look like seemed like they were set so short. And then Georgia tech just called like 80% run plays the entire game. And it wasn't even close. The, the usage of that whole Georgia tech offense was interesting. They just spread it around so much. These multiple running backs. Yeah. Um, I remember winning under on, uh, on Haynes out of nowhere because he had like two attempts in the second half type of thing. Uh, I, I'm curious to see if they push him a little bit more because it did seem like his usage was a little bit more limited compared to some of these other guys. You know who else could fit in this is one of our favorites, Garrett Green. You know, like, but he's undersized. I mean, he's probably just as undersized as Castellanos too. So, would you put Green in that group as well, or do you have a favorite of those three? If if you say yes, I didn't realize he was undersized. Like, a, he's a little guy. I mean, he's right. always yeah. hurt. <laughs> I guess always that explains hurt. why he's kind of kind of always banked up. But that dude is a, a warrior, and like I don't, I can't recall many games where it felt like he was shying away from running, even though like it felt like every week it's like oh he's coming into the game banged up, and then all of a sudden he's got like 14, 15 rushes, and it's like 
breaking 100 yards. Like, I love that dude, though. Um, was happy to kind of see him answer the necessary questions in terms of his pa- passing competency uh, this year. If you were to bucket him, Casty, and King together, that is tough, I think, in terms of who to, who I would take from a draft perspective. I'd probably go Green, Casty, and then King, but I think you can make decent arguments for kind of switching the order around. I think I'm curious to see, obviously, I keep saying it, right, where they get drafted. I would bucket them together, and I would almost just take the guy that is left last. And I would try to diversify. Um, I think last year I said, right, like, don't leave a draft without Finn, Daniels, and um, KJ Jefferson. And, I, you know, early thought is, like, if some of these guys make it to, like, round five to ten, I would just take the last one available and just try not to have 12 of 12, one of them, you know, like I, I think it would be worth spreading that around a little bit, but I do think all of them have like the crazy upside that you win leagues on. You think here's another one. Do you put Jalen Milrow in that bucket? You think he's going to. He's a bigger guy. He's a real, he's a real size quarterback with a little bit less usage, but would you put him in the same tier of quarterback? I feel like there's so many questions right now about like what's going to end up happening at Alabama. Like Kyle seems pretty convinced on Twitter that like, and he's like, he's pretty in touch with all things Alabama that uh, Milrow is the leader of the locker room. and It's going to be him uh, this year. Like, I I don't, I I mean, I don't know what's going on there, but it feels like who knows how things are going to shake out in reality. I already don't seem too great at Alabama. Um, like maybe Melrose changes his mind and makes moves uh, elsewhere. But like if we were forced to draft today, there's no way I'm taking him. There is some risk. I, you know, what's funny is, you know, going into the SEC championship game, I, like in my head, I was like, this guy is a, a clear top five or six quarterback, like for next year. Like this is a yeah. guy that I want. And now it's, I've kind of shifted to like, man, there might be probably just too much risk with such a deep quarterback group. It's like, why would I, why would right. I bother? You know, but if, yeah. you know, if he, if DeBoer can make Penix like a legitimate fantasy stud and that's what zero rushing ability, you wonder, I can't imagine Melrose not going to be the quarterback, but I, you know, assuming he's still there, but I do wonder how effective he would be. Is he the right fit? You know, I don't know the quarterback's, was at Fresno State was it Jake Hayner with DeBoer or was it somebody so yeah. like is there someone similar I know Hayner was athletic enough but like it almost feels like DeBoer is better with like a more of a true passer and oh, I don't know sure. I don't I don't see that with Milrow at least not yet but you know things change right Jordan Travis went from punting footballs with his arm to <laughs> like being a legitimate passer this past year so yeah it's interesting but like you know we have such a deep group of quarterbacks do you take the risk? Here's another guy, Jackson Dart. I mean, what an incredible, he's coming back and he's got about 34 weapons at receiver and tight end, including Baquan, Baquan, right? The tight end from tech transfer there. Yeah. And Prescorn, I think is still there who had the insane bowl game. Yeah. I would put Dart in that same group. You know, I think this is like my, this is my paradise of quarterbacks, right? Like the 10 to 12 attempts, decent throwers. Like I'm going to have a lot of options to go through when it comes to draft season. 
totally. Yeah, I uh, I fucking hate Dart just because he uh, <laughs> he uh, he he took away Spencer Sanders's uh, potential ascension to glory as Ole Miss QB. Um, but I guess Spencer and I can blame ourselves for for this. Yeah, well, I think Spencer has only himself to blame. You know, I think questionable decision making followed up with inability to even be in good withstanding or good academic standing. I think. Do you have a, think, an opinion on how things are trending at Alabama? Um, I mean, I, I think from like a win loss perspective, you can't. You're not going to get better than this year. Yeah, I, the conference is just going to become too tough. And the, the schedule will be too difficult, right? Like they play Georgia. I think they play Texas and like back-to-back weeks. Like you're telling me it's kind of like Michigan, right? Like I don't think they'll have anywhere near the success. Both these teams will this past year, Washington, same thing there. I think they're going to just be, they could be like six and six. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, so I think they're trending down, but I don't think from like a team build standpoint, I just think it's kind of a, mix of like you lose saving you lose some players to the portal and the schedule just got that much tougher yeah it's uh they're definitely seeing like all kind of a a big mass exodus uh thing going on yeah on 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 the one hand like all right you look at the board's track record and it's tough to to question that but i don't know like that it's like that is one component of whatever argument you would want to make. And then, but then I see so many other factors and that may make me really want to question at minimum, like the short-term trajectory of the program. Um, props to him for bringing in the South Alabama dude, like Kate Womack, like that, I, that. It sucks seeing him leave South Alabama because I like the vibes that were going on there. Like if they promote Major Applewhite, I don't really have a ton of faith in that dude as a head coach. But like, okay, let's keep this offensive system in check where we get a, a stud running back and the X receiver shows out every single uh, year, more or less. So like that's from in terms of like that is my number one priority with South Alabama. But still would have been nice to like see them keep their coach who was at one time a couple of years ago, the youngest coach in all the FBS and kind of keep him and keep things moving there. So props to DeBoer for that hire, but like it annoys me seeing uh, the fucking losers at like ESPN and big media lumping in the Kane Womack hire and the, the Buffalo guy into like the same bucket, just cause like they are both G5 head coaches when like they, these guys are like, how are they, how else are they similar? Like people, people are talking about them. Like they're just two like apples in the same bucket or whatever, but like the, the Buffalo dude, like that was the, the one of the worst run programs in all the FBS. And it sucks to see him go. Cause like every week in November, just like we get, we get player props for this team and it's just under, 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 like he's the, he's the, He's not, you can't even play a starting quarterback, Cole Snyder, for more than like 60% of the snaps. And we're still getting over unders on this dude at like 150, 200 yards. So it was a blessing having him and his, uh, his terrible uh, program uh, building and just in game management uh, as part of our weekly match. And it sucks to see him go, but like, I don't know. I feel 
that higher. Like I understand what like I'm look I I'm looking at Mo Linquist's resume, both in like looking a little further back and like what he did at Buffalo and like why is this dude the best candidate for co-defensive coordinator at Alabama? Like why you could like at Alabama, like you're telling me you didn't have a can candidate list of like 10, 15 guys and like that you approach this in any sort of sensible, rational, non um, like I don't even know what like it he doesn't seem like he has any real history with the board. What what was the the hiring criteria that led you to deciding that th yes, this is the dude that I want to use all my political capital and uh, hiring power to bring in and pay two million dollars to be the co-defensive coordinator at Alabama. Like I don't I understand how you come to that conclusion rationally, and I, like it sucks. Just it's stupid to like lump that in with the Kane Womack hire, which I think is an awesome hire. It's it is wild to see head coaches. You know, I I thought of the both hires differently, but the same at the same time, right? Like, yeah. Womack was like, whoa, like that's a real, that's a real program head coach that like is, yeah. you know, potentially not that far away from having a, a P5 or P4 offer. And then with uh, the Buffalo guy, it was like, I mean, I wouldn't have been like that shocked if he get fired in the next year or two. <laughs> and now you're just like, but also at the same time too, right? Like it is crazy to think for both of them, you take a, a, a positional coach slash coordinator job when you have like very real head coaching jobs. Like, do you think that for the Buffalo guy, at least, is that a signal of lack of self-confidence <laughs> or is that like him thinking, this is how I get myself into, this is how I part of my, uh, parlay myself into a real job or I shouldn't say real job. I apologize. Uh, a South, a Southern job, a, a bigger, bigger job than Buffalo. Yeah. Is this like, is this what happened with a, uh, call like a golden parachute in the game or whatever. And could, like, couldn't he have just like been good at Buffalo and gotten a better job? Like how is that not the route that you would want to take? Yeah. What a, I mean, what a writing on the wall comment or thought from him about the bulls. <laughs> right. Not everyone's cut out for head coaching, I guess. And not everyone's cut out for the Mac, right. It's a tough game, uh, tough, tough game to play. Um, so I mean, maybe at some of his other stops, he showed, uh, some competency on the defensive side of the ball or whatever, but like, I don't know. I can't like, how can you, I don't know how I could look at that and just think, okay, great, great call the boy. This is like setting you up for success in the SEC. Um, the, uh, but do, I'm, I mean, as a Georgia fan, I couldn't be more excited to see, uh, Caleb Downs going into the portal today. Uh, you, do you follow? Um, I I feel like I talk about them too regularly. Do you follow the meet at midfield guys on Twitter? Like that the guys Ryan and Patrick? No, I I'm considering subbing to to meet at midfield. Like I pretty much sub subscribe to like nothing from a content perspective. It's just CFF site. Like I cut off the the, the NFL Dynasty uh, subscription that I had to like one site um, and like outside of like necessities like ESPN Plus. Like that's that that is like that's a utility at this point right um but like i i really don't subscribe to much but i'm considering subscribing to me in midfield just because i align with a lot of uh what they do from a, a like a coverage and just some college football perspective um but the one dude uh ryan on twitter so replying to some bama fan that uh was talking about like is it not tampering if the if 
schools go and like talk to all our players before they enter the portal. He just says, your program is dead and in the dirt. And we're all picking through the carcass, but hope you had fun while it was while lasted. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it is, man. We're, we're going in and we're scooping Caleb Downs and we're bringing him to Athens. And I mean, it's I pretty obvious that tampering exists, right? Like, yeah. Everybody's doing it. Like, I mean, the stealing signs is one thing that everybody's doing to what degree is whatever. Same thing with like tampering though. Like, but nothing's ever going to happen of it. No one's ever going to get in trouble. It is dead obvious when someone goes in the portal and 20 minutes later is going into yeah. deciding on it. But to, I guess to circle back, back to your Bama thing for a second here, what are the percent chances that we see Bama is like a, middle to upper upper middle tier sec program the next five years like what what would you say if you percentage wise of the chances that they are they become a seven to nine maybe 10 win team for the next five years you could see it um right i would say flip a coin i would call it a coin flip um the way you the point you brought up about the uh increased competition uh from Texas, Oklahoma coming in, the reshaping of schedules. And then we see like other programs start ascending as well within the existing uh, SEC, right? Missouri, it seems like your boys in Auburn are kind of trending in the right direction as well. Like things are only getting more competitive um, and Bama, like coming back to the pack invariably to some degree, like uh, in the post saving era, like you could see that easily, I think, translating into like two, three, four plus losses. Yeah, I said earlier that they go Texas, Georgia back to back, or Texas, um, somebody else back to back. Yeah, Texas, Georgia back to back, but it's really Georgia that goes Texas, Bama back to back. So I made a mistake there, but they have like on their schedule next year, you know, at Oklahoma, at OSU, at Tennessee, Missouri, Georgia at Wisconsin is early, like not to say that it's going to happen, but like it wouldn't be that hard to find three or four losses out of that group of like six or seven games. Their, their non-con is uh so it's at Wisconsin. Then they also get a uh, G five powers, South Florida and Western Kentucky, right? Yep. The, it goes Western Kentucky, USF, then Wisconsin. I don't know, maybe Phil Longo and Fickle have it moving in the right direction. You know, they get the the right quarterback. They get the Tyler Van Dyke. We all love him. Yeah. Missouri, I don't know, man. Missouri looks legit, too, you know, with the return of almost the whole offense except for Schrader. But they brought in a bunch of potential candidates to replace him. Yeah. Marcus Carroll, another guy that we can include in our, our Delora uh, deal. Um, Ain't Noel, too, I think, more recently. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Um, it's. I mean, it's, it's not as like a, a staunch Georgia supporter. I'm not super excited to see that team continue to trend in the right direction. Like they, they played us uh, close uh, last year, even though we were able to sneak out uh, with a W. Like they are. It definitely feels like they're 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 building uh, in Columbia. Okay, so we chatted this morning about. Pac-12 teams now in the Big Ten, uh, or maybe it was me and Nate, I can't remember who, or maybe both of us. Uh, this has been a real blurry morning. And uh, is do you do you buy into you know a team like Oregon and Washington not being the offensive types of teams that we'll see because they're now in the Big Ten? 
for, for let's reshape that a little bit. So you're saying, are they going to struggle because they don't uh, run the ball in cold weather like 50 times a game or whatever? I'm going to, I'm saying, it, yeah, for whatever reason, is it weather? Is it, yeah, you know, well, stronger opponents potentially? It's a, it sucks that uh, that question might get answered a little unfairly in year one for Washington with uh, the roster turn, turnover that they're happening, having, right? Like, okay, it, it seems like bring in Jed Fitch. That seems like a decent enough uh, hire. Like, I, I was super, I wanted to question and hate on him at Arizona uh, initially, um, with, but he, I mean, he, can, he answered all the questions as well as he could have in terms of how that program was ascending. You would think that, though, with uh, everyone gone from Washington, like, they're not going to be great uh, this year and, like, trying to judge how they perform in year one in the Big Ten and answer any sort of macro question uh, regarding big Pac-12 teams in the Big Ten. Like, that's not fair. Oregon, I think, will do really well. Uh, I think that uh, the – like. I, I enjoy a lot of the like tongue-in-cheek comparisons of Dan Lanning to to Mark Helfrich and Mario Cristobal when you kind of zoom out and look at like their records through the first couple of years and how Lanning hasn't won like any big games uh, ever. But like the dude is like crazy recruiter, right? Crazy roster building. You would think that like all right, as the years can as he continues to stack roster and um just move things forward year after year like those they'll they'll win uh big games and continue to improve uh on game day um like i i don't really have questions about them in terms of being able to perform as an offense like that offense is gonna be so fun this year with gabriel uh slinging around um i was really hoping like if that that we might get like a sneaky discount on like if they didn't bring in Evan Stewart and Treshawn Holden was uh, the X in that offense, like, which never really seemed that likely, right? Like they want to stack every position. They want as many studs as they can, but like that dude predictably did uh, well in the bowl game when he was moved into a starting role. Um, but now like he's coming back next year and he's just going to be behind Stewart. Who's going to be the, the primary receiver in that offense. Uh, but I think the offense. I think Oregon's going to do work uh, this year. No reason not to think so. What do you think of their running back room? Uh, with so it's your boy, your boy Noah Winnington is back, right? And uh, Jordan James is probably looked at as the running back one this year. Are you trying to like sneakily grab some twenty fifth round Noah shares? Um, man, to do that again or not? Uh, probably. <laughs> But I don't know how much I will, to be honest. I think the bigger question is how early do we draft Jordan James? Um, you know, from a competitive standpoint, I don't see anybody that really should beat him out. And if that's the case, couldn't you argue that Oregon offense, if they did struggle and or adjust things to like November Big Ten play, wouldn't that be beneficial to Jordan James? You know, more running, um, more of a focus on that. Maybe you're on the goal line type thing. And plus, he was like the goal line back. So, like to me, the question there is, how high do you go with Jordan Dames? Because 
you know, kind of a touchdown guy and a really good offense. And in my opinion, the clear RB one, that's like, you know, in hindsight, we were drafting Bucky Irving way too late, you know, like what were we thinking? Yeah. Um, he got a little bit more usage than I think we all predicted and so efficient thought would happen, but yeah, he still was incredible. Um, so I think Jordan James is the guy. The question is really just, you know, how, how high do you get with him? I, this doing the way too early mock with, um, Jared and others, like there's a lot of running backs and receivers. So it might be just very, a matter of you know, your flavor. I really like Tez. I think Tez is awesome. Uh, I mean, he's clearly showed that he could have like the receiver one, um, for in an offense like that, but obviously Evan Stewart's going to be the guy, but you know, what does that second receiver do? You know, I don't, he could still be a top 15 receiver fairly easily in my eyes, you know, like it. Don't you have to bump him down without his brother there though? I think a little bit, but if there's, I don't know, Bo in uh, Gabriel's just a left-handed Bo, isn't he? You know, without the, without the genes. Right. So I, I like Gabriel a lot. And I think, you know, if Drake Stoops can be successful with a right. Gabriel, then like, why couldn't, why couldn't a Tez Johnson, you know? And yeah. I don't know this, the specifics about how like they all moved around when Tez was, you know, when Troy Franklin was out for the bowl game, did Tez play a different role or something? Right. But like, he certainly so my, got a bunch of manufactured targets. So my counter would be, I think in, Levy's system, it's the slot receiver who dominates. Like going back to Dontario Drummond and Elijah Moore, if he was there for that. I don't remember if he was, like the old miss uh receivers. Like I think it's the slot that dominates in Levy's system. And I assume uh that's what Drake Stoops was playing. I mean it had to have. I'm fairly positive, yeah. Casual racism there, right? Uh but that then you pivot over to the Oregon system. Will Stein system, right? It's the X receiver that dominates uh, traditionally. Troy Franklin played it last year. You assume Evan Stewart plays it this year. And I think you could largely chalk up like Tez Johnson from a fan, like a truly elite fancy production that he put out this year. Like, isn't it, is it as simple as jeans? I think it might be. It or could not, be. Not jeans, but uh, the jeans. Yeah, a family relationship. Yeah, I mean, it certainly could, but Tez also, I think Tez also played outside. It's just a matter of like, you know, which is there going to be a favorite? You know, do they share it? You know, I think yeah. the safe bet is Evan Stewart. I mean, without a doubt, right? Like, I think your worst case, worst case, he's going to split a crazy amount of targets and efficiency. But best case is he's Troy Franklin and then some, you know, so I think he's yeah. the safe pick. But you know, I, I won't be down on Tez all that much, but I, you know, from the way too early mock, there might be a shot that he's just too high. I, if Evan Stewart never went there, I was firmly in like the top 15 pick, top 12 pick range for Tez to me. But Evan Stewart went there and now it's changed. Fair. So any other, we've went a lot of quarterbacks, some Texas play, some, some Oregon combo. Any other topics top of mind here that you want to hit before we wrap up? Scanning through quarterback-related stuff uh, now. Do you think that uh, – how prevalent will uh, there be an orgy on the field this year in 2024? Man, I don't know. So here's – that's a good question because, you know, this offense is going to be pretty brand new, right? Donovan Edwards returns. Um, if sure they enough. don't 
if they don't go to the portal, that might be the best way to keep their run game uh, productive because Orgy, you know, the difference between Orgy and JJ is obviously JJ is smaller and they didn't want to run them because they knew kind of the implications of what that would mean, right? Like as much as people want to make fun of him for throwing it 10 times in a game, like he still made some big plays through the air that helps them win over time, right? Orgy, I don't think he's going to be that type of passer, but he adds another element to the run game that JJ was never going to add, you know, can just because they wanted to. You know, it's funny. I don't think he can throw all that well. Yeah. But people, you know, like the propaganda of my Michigan faithful push is this like one throw to Samaj Morgan in the spring game where he <laughs> threw like a deep ball and he caught it for a touchdown. But I'm like, I don't know. You could throw it 30 times and just caught the one with uh, with the, the video, the highlight tape. So my guess is no, but I've seen crazier things happen and from a CFF perspective, not that I would ever make him my guy or anything, obviously I'm not that biased, but like I could see him, if he's the starter, I could see him providing some value potentially because the running backs are Edwards and Khalil Mullings. You just have to think and hope that he runs it 10 to 15 times a game. Like just a straight bulldozer. I I, I don't think there's any way that 4G starts. Who would be the starter? They would have to go portal, right? Otherwise yeah, it's Jaden Denegal. He's just a, a guy named Jaden Denegal or Denegal. Like he's just ran. He's just a guy that's gotten okay. some snaps. You know, I think he threw a touchdown pass in mop up time at one yeah, point this season. Yeah, they'll pull some kid. They'll pull some kid off a roster into the portal. I think and start him. Like it just doesn't what a, feel like a realistic outcome. Um, but I want what portal I mean, guy could possibly. Well, what yeah, guy that's or, the thing. Or, they, they, they'll uh, they'll hit some kid up who's on a roster now and be like, dude, do you want to go be on team one forty five? You want to play for the national champs? Maybe it's you know, Miller Moss. Maybe they go hit up your boy Miller Moss. What's the? Oh, let's just do this real quick. What's the quarterback archetype that they would go for? What's the? We don't need a name, but who? What? What kind of talent and style of play is the quarterback they're looking for? You'd think they have to figure out their head coach first. Um, but a guy who. Let's just assume Sharon Moore is either the head coach or is the offensive coordinator calling plays. Okay. A guy who may end up going in the first round of the NFL draft but doesn't deserve it, who can complete 10-plus passes around 60%, 65%. And, but then you can get a really good feel for the games where he's going to uh, run the ball and when you're going to want to bet the under on his rushing props. I think that's what they're looking for in a, in a quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> so it feels like that's a little bit uh just something that you want here, Andrew. Uh, you know, I think there's two ways to think about it. You either go, you would imagine they want another game manager, right? If they're confident in what they have offensively, you would want a game manager, or you would say, My offense is not gonna be the same as it was. I need to, I need a guy that's gonna either open up the system or create another avenue of production. And that's why I think that's where I think orgy could fit because he's been there for multiple years. He opens up the rushing ability with, with a weaker running back room. And like, if you add a passer, then you can't possibly go into the season with Samaj Morgan and Tyler Morris as your receivers, right? Like if you add a passer and intend to throw the football, then you also have to get a receiver in the portal. 
That's fair. Can I be more of a dick than usual, real quick? Sure. As long as it's not towards JJ. Well, that kind of is. The, the question <laughs> I, I I want I want to ask, and maybe we maybe we dedicate a show to it, is I would love to run down starting quarterbacks from this past year and ask the question of like, if this guy was the quarterback for Michigan, would you have won the national title? Like. And we could start with Alan Bowman, right? The guy you, you guys ran off. Well, you didn't run him off, but who uh, who went to Oklahoma State? Like, would you have won a national title with Adam, Alan Bowman? No. Why? I think JJ is better. People people made fun of JJ, but I think there were throws that he did, you know, made. And you know, I don't see Alan Bowman. It was not just you know, 10 throws a game. There was decision making that went involved in it, and I think a confidence level of Hey, we can throw a fourth and two around a defensive end of Lake Corum on a against Bam on the Rose Bowl, right? Like Ellen Bowman's yeah. not making that pass. <laughs> uh, I, I, we had a big fourth down against Penn State, I think it was, or maybe Ohio State, where it was a similar type, you know, fourth and one. We're going to dive it, and then it's a play action. I think the list will be smaller than you'd think for a national championship. To win the Big Ten would be a pretty long list. Alan Bowman can win the Big Ten, but I think. Going against like Alabama, and um, I think there's a certain level of of confidence, and uh, you know maybe they didn't actually do it, but they could have done it. And defenses had to be a little bit more. I'm happy for you, uh, you Espel and uh, and Mike. Uh, I, I wore a, a Michigan sweater out to the bar to watch the Natty, and someone tried to get in a fight with me. Um, yeah, I had to I had to, I had to take it off because like I thought I was going to get the shit shipping out of me for wearing. Uh, like uh, um, like wearing some some liberal shit into Trump country or something. That's what it felt like. And I, I had to take it off and wear my Washington uh, T-shirt underneath. To, yeah. I, felt, <laughs> I felt a little more comfortable after that. So um, two, two quick things. You yeah. uh, you mentioned it earlier. Alan, bring back Alan Bowman. I Dude, think yeah. he's seasoned enough That's where for I was this team. Um, and I forget the second one already, but, uh, oh no, no, no. This is what a weird world I live in now where my teams are successful, um, to like <laughs> a higher extent, right. With Michigan. I was at Kroger the other day and someone wore a Michigan hat and I, I don't ever do this. I am the worst when it comes to this, when I wear Auburn stuff and someone says war Eagle, I'm just like yeah. deer in headlights. I told someone that I didn't know go blue the other day. Oh, just nice. Dude, I'm I'm so bad with that shit too. Like I've got tons of August swag that I wear all around. And uh, when I get go dogs, I like it. I deer in the headlights. I, like I'll, I'll return it like maybe 15% of the time. Um, like it just totally catches me off guard. I think that what it comes down to is just, you got to get your reps in and like being in the locale, right? Uh, like being near to the campus is like the best way to get reps. But like living in fucking like Jersey City, being in New York, like you're not going to, you're going to get out of the game a little, you're not going to get to the, the practice field as often as you would like to. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm so, I'm so surprised by it. My wife is much better at it. And uh, I've refused to wear, now I'm to the point where I just refuse to wear Auburn stuff to Braves games and to the airport. I just can't do it. People for some <laughs> reason want to, I went, it, I wore it once to a, um, a Braves playoff game and I, it was almost from a positive perspective, I almost took off my jacket because I was like, I can't keep saying War Eagle to all these people. <laughs> so I get whenever I wear my Michigan sweater to the office, I always always get go blue because there's so many fucking Michigan fans in like the New York area, I guess, or whatever. 
like what's the what's the term it's like involves uh like walmart and michigan that people like you don't know talk about they just call them walmart wolverines yeah is that does that a sore spot i'm sorry if it does but like um i i'm i'm even worse than that because i don't even support the team and like i like I, I do I will say it back, but I feel like something dies inside of me when I do. Well, I mean, to be fair to me, Michigan really hasn't been all that successful. And I'm a Detroit sports fan. So like you wanna yeah. I tell people around here that like maybe call me a little fair weather or something. I'm like, guys, I root for the Lions, the Pistons, <laughs> the Tigers. Like, tell me where I've won games here. So that's that. But uh anyways, well, hope everybody enjoyed uh the show. We'll be back most likely next week. We'll see what happens. And uh, hopefully we get some good portal news, some good hiring firings, and we'll talk about it then. Thanks, guys.